0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesboro Baptist Church. One of the things we're going to start doing now is posting our Wednesday night Bible studies. And uh, we're starting a new series on Wednesday nights in the book of Galatians. So this first study is Galatians 1, verse 1, through verse number 10. Please enjoy. So what we're going to do Once again, I'm going to change the way that I uh, do my lesson. And uh, we're going to go through the book of Galatians. We're going to go verse by verse. You know, some verses will group together. But uh, I'm just going to take it slow, go verse by verse through the book. And, you know, we might, when I get to a truth, or get to a concept that I want to expand or expound on, we're just going to stop. We're going to go through it. And we may go down a rabbit hole, and we may stay down down that rabbit hole the whole whole service. We're going to stay down a rabbit hole. But I tell you, if I go down a rabbit hole, I'll bring you with me. So we will all be together. Okay? That's right. No, oh, there you go. This is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the book of Galatians is where we're going to start. And of course, where do you start, verse number one, chapter one, verse one. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, Galatia was not a city. Galatia was a territory, and it's what we call today, Turkey. And there were several churches in Galatia that Paul, start, Paul started. And this, this letter is to those churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And what was going on is, is in Galatians, Paul is fighting against false teachers. He's fighting against false doctrines that have infiltrated those churches. Now, what these false teachers are trying to do is they're trying to corrupt or pervert the gospel of grace that Paul had been teaching to them. <coughs> because what does the word gospel mean? It means good News. So if I tell you that Jesus Christ can forgive my sin and he can count me righteous and when God looks at me he sees the righteousness of his son and the only thing that I have to do to get this is believe on the name of Jesus Christ. If I do that I get to be counted righteous that is good news. But then, if you tell me, then you have to obey the law. Then you have to follow certain rules. And you have to follow certain regulations. And then you have to keep the law of God in order to be righteous. Then that's not good news. It's not good news because there's no way I can do that. I'm so human. I'm so flawed. My sin nature is just in my flesh. I can't get rid of it. There's no possible way I can keep all that. Nobody can. So what Paul's doing is he's writing to the Galatians here to correct this teaching that has followed his ministry. And these false teachers are coming in and telling these Galatian churches that you still have to follow certain aspects of the law keeping them under the bondage that the actual gospel freed them from. The actual gospel, the real gospel of Christ, freed us from these bondages, freed us from these rules, freed us from following this law. Not that we don't have to follow the law of God at all. In order to be saved, we don't. In order to go to heaven, we don't. And so what he's trying to do is, um, is, is correct this teaching. So now these false teachers have came in, and the first thing they try to do is discredit Paul. Now this is a typical ploy of false teachers. They're going to come in and they're going to try to discredit the man of God that you were saved under, or converted under, or the man of God that you're learning under. They're going to try and and discredit him, and that's exactly what they were trying to do to Paul. So what Paul's going to do in the first verse, right out the gate is he is going to establish the authority through which he speaks. Now, in the first verse, he's proclaiming that he is an apostle, not of man, but by Christ. So, first rabbit hole. Let's tap on the brakes a little bit. Um, Before we get too far into this book, let's talk about what it means to be an apostle. What kind of apostles are there? There are many people today alive that claim to be an apostle. Is that true? Are there apostles today? Now, me and you would think, well, of course not, Brother Pratt. There are are no apostles today. That's what we would say, um, because that's what we think. But instead of just saying what we think, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Okay, so some of the questions we're going to answer is, what is an apostle? What does an apostle do? Can anyone else other than the twelve be an apostle? So, you know, let's see if we can answer these questions using the Bible. What I'm going to read for you now is I'm going to read Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 2. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 2. And it says, Now the names of these Uh, Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. We we can stop there. So, the first thing, so the first of all, what we see is that that Jesus chose these twelve. So, here's what we know about these these twelve so far. So far, we know Jesus chose them, and we know there are twelve of them. Okay, so that's what, that, that, that's what we know so far. But you know, the Bible does say many are called, but few are chosen. But you know, we're all kind of chosen in a, in a special way. I'm chosen in certain ways. I'm, I'm the elect of God. I was called to be a preacher. I'm chosen in certain ways, and, and you're chosen in certain ways. But does the Bible say that the apostles were chosen in a specific way? Luke six thirteen, and when it was day, he called unto him. Uh, and and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostle. Okay, so here, here's what the word apostle means. Apostle means to be sent out. So apostle means to be sent out. And so there's some confusion when people talk about disciples and apostles. So there's a little little confusion here. Now here's what disciple means. Disciple means disciplined one. Disciplined one. Jesus had many disciples. Jesus had way more than just 12 disciples. Disciples. Uh, Luke 10, you can actually turn there, Luke 10, uh, we'll be, read a few verses of Luke in a minute. Luke 10, <coughs> Luke 10 and verse number 1, and it says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So what we see from this verse is that Jesus had many disciples that followed him. And you know, the 12, even when he referenced the 12, he referenced the 12 as disciples because that's what they were. Um, They were disciples. Uh, Matthew, you don't have to turn if you don't want to. We're going to read more in Luke in a little bit. But Matthew 10, 1 says, And when He had called unto Him His twelve disciples, He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So, uh, when He called them disciples, that's what they were because the twelve had a double office. Not only did they have the office of being a disciple, but they also had the office of being an apostle. So, We see, so you're in Luke. If you look back at Luke 9, Luke 9, we're going to read the first six verses of Luke 9. Okay? We'll give you just a second to get there. So, Luke 9, starting in verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, uh, neither have two coats apiece. And whither house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out from that city, shake off the dust from your feet for a testimony against them. That's that verse you were looking for the other day about the feet, the testimony shaking off of the dust. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Uh, so we, we have these 12, but these 12 are picked out uh, particularly from the other disciples. We know this because of Luke 10.1. Because once again, Luke 10.1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and set them out two by two before his face in every city and place, whither he himself would come. So... He handpicked the 12, but then he had 70 other disciples. Now, why 12? Why, why 12? Because that's how many uh, tribes there were in Israel. You know, even 70, 70 has a reason. God doesn't do anything just willy nilly, okay? Maybe it was 70, sent out 70 because that was how many assistants that Moses had. Maybe it was 70 because that's how many members were of the Sanhedrin, which was the governing uh, body of Israel at the time, but but he had a reason for it. But if we look in Luke ten, where Jesus commissioned the seventy, and then we look at another scripture where Lucas where Lucas, where God commissioned the uh, the 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 twelve. Okay, we see some similarities and we see some differences. Okay. So we're not going to read all of Luke 10 and all of Matthew 10, but in these two, I'm going to tell you what the similarities are. Both groups could cast out devils. So both the the, just the plain Jane disciples and the 12 disciples who were apostles also, both groups could cast out devils. They could cast out unclean spirits. Both groups could heal the sick. So they could cleanse lepers, they could make the blind see, make the deaf hear, make the lame walk. So both could cast out devil's both could heal the sick. Now, here are the differences. Only the twelve were given the ability to raise the dead. Only the twelve could do that. Um, They're the only ones that that Jesus specifically said, you can do this. Only the twelve were specifically sent to Israel during jesus's ministry the other 70 the other 70 uh they didn't have such a restriction they could go anywhere there were parts of israel that the gentiles had came into and they could go there and so the 70 had no such restriction but those 12 they were to follow christ and watch christ and be a witness to him and during jesus ministry they were specifically sent to israel now Jesus started out with 12. And as crucif- right before his crucifixion, right before he went to the cross, how many was he left with? Twelve. Well, you know, before before Judas turned. It was it was it was it was twelve. Um, like from it was twelve from the John 6, 66 and 67, what I'm about to read you. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? So these twelve, they were both disciples and they were apostles. Now, as far as apostles, let's talk about how they were chosen in a specific way. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whosoever shall ask of the Father in my name he may give you. Now we all remember when I read this verse in my Calvinism message. Some of you are having flashbacks. And, uh, you know, Calvinism, Calvinists love to look at this verse and say, Oh, you see there? Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. Yeah. Okay? John 15, 16. But, you know, context is always key. In this verse, in John 15, 16... He's talking specifically and only to the twelve, okay? Um, a second. This, is, this is in the upper room after the foot washing when he made this statement. Okay, we've already established that Jesus chose the twelve in a specific way. John 6, 70. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? He was talking about Judas. So the 12 apostles were specifically chosen, even Judas. So in John 15, when he says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, he's speaking directly to the apostles. I can't take myself and say, okay, I'm going to put myself in John 15 and I'm a part of the group of 12 he's talking to. Okay, so when he says, ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you, that statement was for the apostles alone. That statement doesn't apply to me. Like I said in that message, it's, it's, it's an established biblical principle that we get a choice. Joshua 24, and 15, it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Okay, so now we've nailed down the 12. The 12, they not only are they disciples, but they're also apostles. Jesus picked those 12. Now, let's look at apostles after Jesus ascends into heaven. Turn to Acts 1, please. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This study on apostles, it changed the way I saw apostles. It changed everything I thought I knew. It's funny when you really look in the Bible and not just go by what people tell you, The Bible will straighten you out on some things. Acts chapter 1, the first two verses. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, uh, once again, we see here that Eve... Even after Jesus is gone, the apostles here, they're still referenced to be chosen and commissioned by Jesus. Now, now we're going to talk about a different type of apostle. So we've nailed down the apostles that that Jesus chose and commissioned. Now let's talk about a different type of apostle. Look down at verses 18 and 19. Now this man purchased a field with reward of iniquity and falling headlong... He burst asunder in the midst, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in the proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. So, this is where Judas kills himself. And this presents a problem. The problem is there was supposed to be 12, now there's only 11. Now, part of the reason why I feel that they picked Matthias in this chapter to be that 12th apostle is because they had to go out two by two. They couldn't go out two by two now. One of them was with Ed. So now there was going to be one guy without a buddy, okay? And they couldn't go out two by two, and that's part of the reason why I say, oh, we've we got to fix this problem. And so... Uh, that's part of the reason why I feel they did it. It was uneven. Somebody is going to take Judas's place. In fact, the Bible even predicts it. In verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now this is a combination of two psalms. It's a combination of two psalms, two, two psalms and they reference what's going to happen to the enemies of god let me read you the two verses first one is psalm sixty-nine, twenty-five: let their habitation be desolate let none dwell in their tents psalms 109 8 let his days be few and let another take his office judas betrayed jesus now his tent is empty and somebody has to take his place. Now the words of this prophecy here in verse 20, these are more likely the words of Luke, the penman, as opposed to Peter, who was there at the time. We think that, but it really don't matter whether Luke or, or Peter said it. It's in the Bible. Um, and let, let me tell you a little something. When I used to read this account in Acts 1 of them picking Matthias, I used to have a big problem with it. I would say, man, these guys, these apostles, they're messing up. They're jumping the gun. They're not waiting on God. God has another plan. God knows he's going to call Paul down the road. These, These apostles, they're jumping the gun. They're not waiting on God. They're making a mistake. For years, I thought that. But you know, after we, after I'm studying this and I'm looking at this, and um, I just it made me look at it. It gave me a different take on it. Okay, there are two types of apostles in the Bible: there are Christ ordained apostles and there are man ordained apostles. So these are the two types of apostles in the Bible. Now the following, what we're about to read are the requirements for a man-ordained apostle. Now, we know what the, what, the, what, the, what the requirements for a Christ-ordained one was. Christ had to pick them. That was, the, that was the requirements. But for a man-ordained apostle, we're fixing to read the requirements here in verses 21 and 22. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of john unto that same day that he was taken up from us must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection a man ordained apostle had to witness be a witness of jesus's ministry from the baptism of john through the resurrection they had this witness the resurrection of Christ. They have to have seen the resurrected Christ. And they have to witness his, his ministry from the baptism of John. Look, many people, many people uh, witness the resurrected Christ. First Corinthians fifteen, four through six says, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So many people could have potentially become man ordained apostles if they were here and they saw the resurrected Christ and they saw the baptism of Christ and witnessed his ministry and witnessed the resurrected Christ. Then you could be a man ordained. Apostle, or that's so what it reflects in in, in Scripture. So, however, at, at, in Acts one, at at this particular moment, the only two people in the room or around at the time of Acts one that fit this that fit this uh, criteria was was uh, Barsabas, who also known as Justice, and Matthias. Okay. So let's see what they did next. Verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, so whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And, you know, another thing that I used to believe, I used to believe there could only be 12 apostles. I used to believe that. That there, oh, there could only be 12, that's it. And, you know, I was taught that. And somebody, somebody preached that to me. And, but, you know, upon reading of God's Word, there's more than 12. There's more than 12 apostles. And, and, and I'm going to show you that in a little bit. But here's the difference. You had the 12 capital A apostles... And then you had the rest are lowercase a, apostles, okay? Um, The rest were ordained by men. And then we see that they cast lots to decide which one. And I was ready to ream them out for this. I've been been reaming them them out for this for years. But, you know, upon reflection, um, you know, I mean, we don't pray today using dice. (sighs) Come on, sevens, daddy needs a promotion, you know? We don't, we don't do that, do okay? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, we don't do that today when trying to figure out the Lord's will. I have a confession. When I would buy a lottery ticket, I would use that right there. They're casting lots, they're gambling, it's okay. <laughs> yep. When I used to buy a lottery ticket. There you go. But that was... Before they received the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's why they had to, they had to do cast it. Lots. The Old Testament saints, you look in the Old Testament, how did they decide the will of God? They cast lots. Yeah. It's what they did. And, and at, you you got to give cut them some slack for this because they didn't receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until Acts 2. Yeah. So technically they're still under that Old Testament method of deciding the will of God. But I will note this through the whole Bible up to this point, we've cast lots to find out the will of God. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, no more in the Bible. Do we see them casting lots to decide the will of God? Now we can pray the Holy Spirit and leave the dice on the Yahtzee board. You know, so, you know, however. During this time the church did have authority to ordain apostles. They did have authority to ordain the to ordain apostles. Romans 1:5 <coughs> Excuse me. By whom we <clears throat> by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. So apostleship was a gift given to the church along with grace and along with other gifts as well that the church used to spread the word of Christ. Okay, Colin, will you get me a uh, uh, bottle of water, please? Um, to, you, to, to, to spread the word of Christ. Now listen, we do not have apostles today. Okay, I'll explain why in a minute. There are other things that we had that the, well, there are other things that the early church had that we don't have today. Other things the early church had in part, which is here's the name of few, tongues, prophecy, getting a word of knowledge. And if you look at, at these gifts, all these gifts are ways of spreading the word of God. Tongues is the ability to speak in your language and somebody hear that in their language. All through the New Testament, we talk about tongues and uh, I mean, it's all in there. But the one instance we have of somebody actually speaking in tongues, he's talking in his native tongue and everybody understands in their native tongue. That's tongues. It's not jibber jabber, you know, it's not Honda Kawasaki Yamaha, you know, it's not that, okay? Um, it's, it's speaking in your, and the reason for that is we didn't have the word of God. We didn't have it. It wasn't complete. So we needed that gift, the early church needed that gift to spread the gospel. Another thing is um, prophecy, the early church still had the gift of prophecy. Look at Revelation. Look at John the Revelator prophesying about the end times. early church still had the gift of prophecy. The early church still had the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge. Okay? So that means Peter and Paul and Mark and all these men the Holy Spirit would speak to, give the knowledge to, and they would write that knowledge down. Okay? Okay? Um, Today we're not going to it's not going to pop up on Google News somebody just wrote another book to the New Testament and now we're going to put it in our Bible it's a word of knowledge that's not happening today Nobody else is going to officially uh, everybody bring your Bibles in we got to add another book to it it didn't happen to Joseph Smith either. right and you know it's it's it, it's not going to happen so all of these things we don't. The early church doesn't have anymore. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians thirteen eight through ten. Shepherding never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that's, uh, that which in part shall be done away. The perfect thing that we got is the completed word of God. I have the completed word of God. We have it. Then there, now there's no more need for tongues. Now there's no more need for prophecy, because it's in here. There's no more need for a word of knowledge coming from God, because this is all the knowledge that we need. There's no more need for an apostle that witnessed the resurrected Christ, because we have the word of God. Of course, the Mormons teach that any time an apostle dies, he's replaced with another apostle, because that's what happened in Acts 1. And they actually teach that from Christ who made the apostles, and those apostles ordained apostles, and those apostles ordained apostles, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth, until the actual twelve apostles today are in the Mormon church. Did you know that? The Mormons have the actual ordained twelve apostles. That's heresy, of course. Um, Because I doubt any of them witnessed the resurrected Christ and witnessed His ministry from the baptism of John. I doubt very seriously uh, that they that they've done that. But God, in His infinite wisdom, He knew that that by the time everyone who was qualified to be an apostle died off, that we'd have the completed Word of God. Okay, in His infinite wisdom, He knew this. We don't need apostles anymore because we have the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 11.13 For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So uh, there, there will be false apostles. You know, which we have today when someone claims that title. They are a false apostle. So in fact, there's a verse here in Galatians 1 that mentions another man ordained apostle. And it's verse 19. If you have your places still in Galatians 1, um, verse 19 says, But other of the apostles I saw none save James the Lord's brother. Now, um, there's some people that say that this where it says James the Lord's brother that they're not saying that it's an actual, his actual natural brother, that it's his brother in, in Christ, brother in himself, brother in the church. They say, okay, well, we know for a fact it's not James, the son of Zebedee, because by this time he's dead, he's been martyred. But some people say it's James, the son of Alphaeus, which was one of the original 12, okay? Um, they say it's James, the son of Alphaeus. But, you know, this says James the Lord's brother. That's what the Word of God says. And uh, this is the same man that wrote the book of James. Why do they claim that, though? What's their motive? Mary was supposed to be the perpetual virgin. It's, this, Catholic. It, it's Catholic roots. Son of, you know, James, the son of Alphaeus, they're saying that, that, that brother means cousin because perpetual virgin. And so it it has its roots in Catholicism, the reason why they think this is James, the son of Alphaeus. Okay, it's to perpetuate that Mary is all perpetually virgin. So you're you're exactly right on that. Um, But, you know, so it says, save James, the Lord's brother. Now, I had a page and a half of notes explaining why the wording... He's not, James, the Lord's brother, isn't really an apostle. It's just the way it's worded. It's a little confusing. But, you know, he is. He was an apostle. Now, he wasn't a capital A apostle because the Bible even says that Jesus' brethren did not believe in him until after his resurrection. Okay, so he couldn't have been a capital A apostle. So James, the Lord's brother, was ordained as an apo- a man-ordained apostle after the resurrection. Now, uh, there's another verse about other apostles other than the twelve. And that, that's one of them is in Acts 14, 14, where it says, Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out, some people can make, try to make the claim and try to explain their way out of James, but that's pretty cut and dry. It calls Barnabas an apostle. We know for a fact Barnabas wasn't part of the original twelve. So there can be apostles other than the original twelve. We have Christ-ordained apostles and uh, we have man-ordained apostles. Now one more verse I'd like to read about this subject is in Revelation twenty one fourteen where it says, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, you know, the original 12 were special. Um, I'm sorry, Matthias, but I don't believe Matthias' name is in one of these foundations. Um, you know, Judas, Judas being gone, I believe it's Paul. Paul was chosen of Christ, and uh, he was ordained of Christ other than Judas, and so you know, Paul's the only other apostle that can say that. So Revelation 21, 14, 21, 14. But, you know, Paul is, is saying that, you know, he's an apostle. But why? Because who ordained you was a big deal back then. Some would say, oh, I am a Peter. I am a Paul. I am of Apollos. People want to know whose authority you speak from. And Paul stepped up and said, hey, buddy Roe, I wasn't ordained by a man, neither by man. I was ordained by Christ directly. I was ordained by someone greater than Peter. I was ordained by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, uh, it, 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 it isn't what man says about me that I'm concerned with, it's what God says about me. You know, it's so easy for us to get turned around and think, oh, what does is, what is so and so think of me? Uh, when the only thing that really matters is what the Lord thinks about us. All right, Galatians uh, 1 uh, 2 through 5. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is still Paul's greeting to the churches. And everybody starts a letter out mostly the same way. Dear so-and-so, to whom it may concern. We all end our letters the same way. I end my letters the same way all the time. I say, in Christ, Brett Martin, Romans 8.28. That's how I usually end a letter. And this is pretty much the standard greeting and sign-off that Paul and Peter used through uh, the New Testament. In this greeting, he confirms the, the source of grace and peace is the Lord. In fact, you can't have peace except through His grace. Okay? Uh, so we're, we're going to read a big uh, big uh, Swash of the verses Here and then we'll go back Through each verse But let's read verses 6 through 10 And then we'll go back up and, and go through them again uh, Galatians 1 Starting at verse number 6 uh, No I'm, I'm reading I'm re- Like I said this is a little different Yeah This is a little different Galatians one. I'll give you a second to get there. Galatians one. I want to start in verse number six. In one, six. one verse, starting number number six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach Any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I speak to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. He starts off this after he gets done with the greeting, after he gets the pleasantries out of the way, he comes in hot. He comes in extremely hot here. When he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ and Jesus under another gospel, what he's basically saying to them, it blows my mind how easily you were tricked. That's what he's saying to them. It blows my mind how easily and how fast you were tricked. Look, look, grace is going to be a big part of the argument that he's making here. And Paul tears into them right out the gate. They had turned away from the gospel of grace. This was the gospel that he had preached to them. The gospel of grace that they accepted. But they're listening to these false doctrines. They're listening to these false teachers. And it just, it just blows his mind how fast and how quickly they turned away from the truth. Verse, first part of verse 7. Which is not another... Look, any other gospel that is not the gospel of grace is not the gospel at all. But there be some that trouble you, which would pervert the gospel of Christ. So we see here that these false teachers, they're badgering these people. They're badgering these people with these false doctrines. And after so much badgering, instead of standing firm these churches are beginning to cave. They're beginning to cave in to these false doctrines. And look, anybody that adds anything to the gospel of grace is cursed. They they pervert it. And and that's exactly what's happening here. As these false teachers are adding to the gospel, making it false. Now, what exactly they were adding, we'll get into that as we get into the book. Okay, but I want you to notice verses 8 and 9. It's just the same thing repeated twice in a row. I don't have it in my notes. Does somebody read verses 8 and 9 for me? Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, while we have... Said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Now, why does God repeat Himself in the Bible? Means it. Underline. Means it. Mm. I mean, but listen to me. <laughs> listen. Okay? <laughs> you know? And, you know, He's saying you need to pay attention. This is important. I'm underlining this point. People that add to the gospel of grace is cursed. So when somebody teaches you that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, they are cursed. When someone teaches you you have to be a member of a church in order to be saved, that is a curse. When someone teaches you that if you don't speak in tongues, there's no evidence of your salvation, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved, they're cursed. Someone teaches that you have to ask God to forgive you after every time you sin. You have to ask God to forgive you right then, over and over and over. They teach that. They're cursed. They're adding to the gospel. God takes the gospel seriously. Those that pervert the gospel will pay for it. They will pay. Galatians 1 and verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please man, men, should I not be the servant of Christ? Once again, uh, Paul looks and says, look, I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to cater to your needs. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to tickle your fancy. Okay, that's that's not what I've been sent here to do. He said, if I was here to please people, a servant of Christ is the last thing I would be. Servant of Christ is not there to, 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 to tickle people's fancy. They're not there just to, just to please people. Paul says, look, I am not here to please you in this letter. I am here to set you straight. That is something we wouldn't hear Brother Osteen say. No. He would not say that. Okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Look, Paul is not here to win a popularity contest. He's here to speak the truth. So many pastors out here, they're just like politicians. All they care about is keeping their job, keeping their four oh one K, keeping their retirement. And they will say, what was a reference? First Thessalonians two four. And they will say anything they get, just like just like a congressman. A congressman will say anything to stay in office. They don't care what's right. They care about staying in office. That's all they care about. And these pastors that just, they just, they refuse to tell it like it is because they just, because they want to be popular. Look, you've got to be gracious to people. We're commanded to. But don't sacrifice the truth of God on the altar of politeness. Don't sacrifice the truth of God on the altar of of politeness we are the keepers of the truth we just read about how when somebody perverts the truth they're cursed the truth is designed to separate this Bible this gospel this Jesus it will separate people people think oh, it's about us all kumbaya and in a Pepsi commercial holding hands and that's not what it's about The That's why it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even, uh, uh, piercing even, dividing us under soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discernment of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible's going to separate the wicked from the righteous. It's going to separate the weak from the strong. It's going to uh, 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 separate the fool from the wise. It's going to separate the saved from the lost. The children of God from the children of Satan. That's what the Bible is going to do. It's going to separate... This book is going to separate those that are pro-life and those who are pro-choice. And this Bible is going to stand in the middle of it. The the Word of God is going to separate who believes in same-sex marriage and who believes that, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. This Bible stands in the middle of that debate because the Bible separates. That's its job. That's what it does. When a preacher stands behind a pulpit, you cannot pull punches. I do not understand how somebody can stand behind a pulpit and hold up a word of God that has Romans chapter 1 in it and preach that homosexuality is okay. I don't understand it. How can they do that? The Bible separates. That is what it does can't pull punches when it comes to the Word of God. You have to preach it like it is. It's one of the reasons why in a conversation, when you talk to someone that has a perverted, perverted sense of the gospel, you're obligated to say something. You're talking to a normal person about heaven, and they say, oh, well, I think I've done enough good to go to heaven. Here's what, your flesh, now here, here's what your flesh says in that moment. Man, I'm really busy. Man, I've got somewhere I've got to be. You know, I don't know this person that well enough to talk to him about this. Maybe this will come up later on down the road. Just go on, gloss over it, move on, go on your way, and just don't worry. You'll have another opportunity in the future. But guess what? Me and you, me and you are keepers of the truth. We are keepers of the truth. We are obligated to say something. Our flesh wants to move on. But what the Holy Spirit is doing right then in that moment, the Holy Spirit is giving you an opportunity. Holy Spirit is giving you opportunity, A, to reap a harvest, or even if you don't reap a harvest, to B, to plant a seed that seed could one day turn into a harvest. And when they say those words, well, I think I've done enough good to go to heaven, that's when you lean in and you say, well, you know, it's not about how much good you've done. It's about coming to a time in your life that you accept Christ and you put your faith in Him and Him alone to take you to heaven. And it's not about how much good you've done. It's not about how much good outweighs the bad. That's not what it's about. It's about that one decision to make him Lord of your life and to accept him as your Savior. That's, what's, that's the gospel. And that's an opportunity for us to, to step in there and, and take that opportunity. And look, don't worry about their status compared to yours. Don't worry about what they'll think of you. Don't worry about any repercussions that might occur. We have an obligation to speak the truth of God. I wish, I wish I could stand up here and I can tell you that's never happened to me. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that every time I've had an opportunity, And every time the Holy Spirit has told me to give the gospel, I've done it every single time. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. I can't. Because it wouldn't be true. There have been times where the Holy Spirit has tugged on my heart to speak the truth. And my flesh won. But I can say that there are other times the Holy Spirit won. And the more I give in to the Holy Spirit, and the more I desire to speak the truth, the more the truth will be spoken. That's what this Bible does. It separates. Paul is kicking in the doors of these churches. He's been gone for a while. When the cat's away, the mice will play. The mice have been playing, and Paul, right off the gate, he kicks the doors open of these churches and saying, I'm not going to allow this in these churches. I'm not going to allow these false apostles and these false doctrines and these false teachers. These false teachers are coming from Jerusalem, and they're pushing the old law, saying, hey, you got you to do certain aspects of the old law in order to be saved, and Paul's saying, no, that's not what grace is about. You're free from the law. You don't have to abide by that anymore. You're free from the law. You have liberty in Christ. You're free from those those legal things that that keep you from heaven. And that's what he's going to talk about in this book. I'm going to stop there, but think about that. Think about When the last time you had an opportunity to speak the truth of God, did we take it or did we cower down? If you cower down, look, it's okay. We all do it. From time to time, we are flesh. It's going to happen. But man, we need to get close to God. I am a keeper of the truth, it is my job. Yeah, you know what? If I say something, it might upset somebody because that's what this book does. People don't go to uh, pro-choice rallies because they're happy. They do it because they're upset. And what upset them? This book. Look, in the center of all these debates in our country, in this government, that book stands in the middle of every single one of them. You look between the aisle, between the Republicans and the liberals, regardless of who's right and who's wrong, what's in the middle is that Bible, because that's what its job is. It separates, it tells the truth, and that's what the truth does. The truth doesn't bring people together, the truth separates, and Paul's about to do some separating in Galatians. Like I said, he's about to have a come-to-Jesus meeting, like my all used to say I'm going to go I've got more but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stop there so that's almost an hour <laughs> well alright verse number no <laughs> I got to have something to preach next week <laughs>